Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Christina Matina, editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. On this episode of Managed Carecast, we're talking with the lead author of a Trends from the Field article from our June issue. The article, Medicare Diabetes Prevention Program, Where Are the Suppliers?, describes an analysis of MDPP suppliers as of July 2019, with a focus on beneficiary access to the MDPP. Dr. Natalie D. Ritchie is an associate research scientist in the Denver Health and Hospital Authority Office of Research and an assistant professor at the University of Colorado School of Medicine and College of Nursing. Welcome, Dr. Ritchie. Much of your prior research focuses on the reach and effectiveness of the National Diabetes Prevention Program. Can you tell us about the objective of the current study and why you decided to investigate this topic? Yes, thank you, Christina. We were trying to figure out what reach was looking like of the Medicare Diabetes Prevention Program after it rolled out in April 2018. And my colleague Mark and I, we first began this work with a 2018 paper in the journal Medical Care, where we saw that our costs of delivering the diabetes prevention program were far out exceeding what we would expect to get reimbursed from Medicare. And so we were wondering, is it, is it just us? Are we like delivering a model of this program that's too expensive? Are there participants we serve? Are we reaching them in a way that isn't helping them get the effectiveness and the results that we need to get higher reimbursement rates. And so we wanted to really dig in and see what was happening more broadly. Because locally, I would kind of talk to other people in this space of delivering the DBP, and they would say things like, oh, this is so great that Medicare reimbursement is here. Oh, the rates are just fine for us. We are set to go. And I, I just kept being dumbfounded. So we wanted to dig in with some actual data. Great. So what were your main findings, and were there any that surprised you? Oh, yes, good question. We really started out pretty agnostic. Like, I didn't know what I was going to find one way or another. And lo and behold, what we really see is that there's a far lacking supply of programs that are available for Medicare beneficiaries. And really what we see is there are very few states that have what could be considered adequate coverage from a population perspective in terms of numbers of Medicare beneficiaries. But by and large, even those states were affected by geographical gaps. Um, I'll give an example of Texas, which didn't have many sites to begin with, but even then it's such a big state that it felt important to look at. And it turns out that from this analysis of 2019 data, unless you lived in the Galveston region, you would have zero access to the program because there are no sites outside of that metro area. And this was really eye-opening that, oh wow, there, there seems to be an issue here that we, we have to try to figure out some solutions to. Right. So how do these findings relate to the broader issue of health disparities for minority and rural populations? Yes, this, this issue is so tough because we know that Minority populations in particular, that's an emphasis area of mine, we see that they have higher rates of diabetes to begin with. And then what we found from this analysis was that the severest shortages of Medicare suppliers were in states and territories where you had like 
high, higher rates of minority populations. So for example, Puerto Rico, which despite being fairly small, had, was pretty populous in terms of Medicare beneficiaries. And you have this predominant Latinx population, generally lower speaking in income, and you had no suppliers whatsoever. And these kinds of trends in terms of the access to this program seem like they might set us up to be perpetuating instead of reversing or even just trying to level health disparities. So it's a little frightening from that standpoint. What are some potential reasons driving the limited availability of MDPP suppliers? I might be naive, but I think money has the biggest thing to do with it. You know, it's tough, especially when you think of community sites, because although this Medicare rollout has a huge strength in that they're letting community-based organizations be suppliers, those community sites may not have the bandwidth financially to offset the expected loss. So you'd have to pay for this program up front, and then you'd only get about a quarter or less of that cost back. And maybe a big healthcare system can offset that cost, and they see it as all being part of the greater good, but a smaller organization might not. I'm also in the safety net where we serve a predominantly Medicaid population with high, high, high risks of disease, well, disparities, especially in diabetes. And we also just, we operate on a tighter margin. And so it's really hard to say, okay, we're just gonna accept that these rates are so low, but our leadership says it's okay and we'll still do the right thing and make this program available. So what can CMS do to facilitate greater access to the MDPP program? Thankfully, we do see really incredible return on investment numbers come out of these studies on the Medicare Diabetes Prevention Program. And so it, it, it would seem logical to me, but I'm not a health policy specialist. I'm a health psychologist by training, so I'm just trying to learn enough here. But I'm like, okay, if you can still show that you would have savings, even if you increase the rates, can you then justify that greater adequate, more adequate reimbursement rate that would enable greater coverage? And if you think about it on a, you know, if we get, if we can funnel the population, a high-risk population, which Medicare beneficiaries, you have about half of them have having prediabetes. If you can funnel this group to this program, and if you see return on investment that these studies are continuously showing, then it's a win for everyone. It's a win for people who don't want diabetes, and it's a win for all of us taxpayers who don't want to pay for someone else to get diabetes. So higher rates. Do you think that we will see reimbursement for online MDPP classes, especially given the push toward telehealth amid the COVID-19 pandemic? I love that you're asking that. COVID-19 has changed everything, including from a disparities lens. And what we're seeing is that we can pivot quickly to virtual delivery of this program. And we're actually, you know, people are doing, responding great to it. Their rules is that only certain sessions are allowable currently to be delivered virtually. I don't understand exactly what certain sessions means. But the bigger picture is that, if I'm understanding correctly, you have to have enough evidence that a virtual model would result in sufficient savings and sufficient benefit in terms of effectiveness to justify it. And I, I don't know if we have that body of evidence yet or if it's sufficient or if we could get that body of evidence in place quickly enough to kind of salvage this momentum. Thanks so much for your time. 
No, thank you so much for the chance to talk about this. For more about this issue, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.